Luke 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you of any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law said, replied, the man who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you, Dolores. We continue this month our look at the Good Samaritan. On September the 6th, 2018, a lady named Amber Geyer, an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas, entered the apartment of a 26-year-old accountant by the name of Botham Jean. Have you heard of this story? Yeah. She later said that she thought it was her own apartment and mistook Jean for a burglar, shooting him and killing him. One year later, on October the 1st, 2019, she was found guilty of murder. The next day, this past week, on October the 2nd, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Botham Jean's brother, named Brant, was allowed to give a victim impact statement in court, and he addressed Amber Geyer directly. The result was a beautiful Christian testimony. Maybe some of you have seen it. Truly salt and light in a dark and twisted world. I just read that from a website 
the Gospel Coalition that I saw this week, and I thought I would show you a short clip of this young man's word that he said in public to the man who murdered his brother. Let's take a listen. Pretty powerful. If you saw this on Wednesday or before today, how did you react? If this is the first time you're hearing about it, could I just gently ask, what if this was you? What if your family had experienced what this young man, Brant, experienced? Would you have been able to say and do what you just saw and heard? I ask myself that. I don't know what the answer would be. To me, this is just so overwhelming. Uh, the weight of this is uh, almost too much to think about. I mean, loving one's neighbor, this is off the charts. I think that the reason that this Christian brother that we just saw could forgive the police officer who killed his brother was because of his immense love for God that overflowed to the love for his neighbor. So that's the way I wanted to introduce this week's sermon. I didn't plan on using that, obviously, till it came along, 
And for some of you, you might think, hold it. We talked about loving our neighbor, neighboring in September. I know. And kind of like going back to a buffet one more time, because there's a little bit more room in your stomach and maybe a little more food that you didn't taste. That's the way this story is, at least for me, and I hope for you as well. In other words, when you go to this passage that Dee read for us a moment ago, that we hopefully are getting to know almost by heart, let's remember what the big picture is. A young man comes to Jesus with the question of all questions. How will I live forever? And Jesus responds with kind of a simple but a profound answer. Love God with everything that you are, and then love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Simple, but mysteriously profound. And when the young man pushed back a little bit and wanted to, you know, box in his neighborliness, who is my neighbor? Jesus could have said, all right, well, let me... Uh, let me tell you 12 things to find out who your neighbor is. He could have listed them, but he didn't. He told a story, and the story is so deep because the more you read it and think about it and then read it again, different um, colors come out, different tastes are revealed. It's a deep well of insight on how to love your neighbor. So this month, we're going to do it one more time and then something else in November, I promise. But that's what this booklet is for. I hope you got one this morning. If you didn't get one, you can get one on the way out, and I hope you take it and use it every week in between the Sundays. So today, as we uh, every Sunday have a question, I don't know if you've seen that, it has the speaker supposed to fill in the name of the speaker, the big idea, and then a question. Here's a question I'd like you to think about. How many neighbors do you have? That's what we're going to talk about today. So as we unpack a little more of the story, let me remind you that in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said in answer to the question, well, there was a man who was wounded, and there was a man who came and looked the other way, and there was another man who came and looked the other way, and then there was this third man, a good man, not so much good, I'm thinking because of what he did, but Good, because maybe this man is illustrating what it means to love God and your neighbor all put together. And he's the one who comes. And now, here's what it doesn't say. The Good Samaritan decides to build a clinic for people who have been assaulted on this highway to Jericho. Go and do likewise. It doesn't say that, nor does it say that he founded an inn to help travelers like himself. Nor does it say he created a plan 
to rid the highway of robbers and improve safety along this uh, stretch down to Jericho. It doesn't say that. Right? And I'm thankful it doesn't because that would be overwhelming. be too much. Instead, the story goes like this. As this Samaritan was traveling, then he saw, he went, and he did. Can you see the difference? And what I'm saying is, when you, when you read the story and see the story, it's like, oh, of course, he wasn't out to have a project going, I am going to be a good neighbor. No, as he was living his life, it just kind of oozed out of him when needed. And you can see this in the story. Uh, I've highlighted some words here. Look at the way it starts. The Samaritan, as he traveled, and now the action words are there, right? He came to where the man was, in contrast to the others who walked away after they saw him. And when he saw him, he took pity, went to him, bandaged his wounds. You could see that in your mind, right? Poured on the medicine, put the man on his donkey, brought him to this inn, and took care of him. How? By taking out of his pocket or his money bag the coins, and giving them to the innkeeper. Do you see how it's, we're in slow motion here? Each act is small but decisive. And, and then he says to the innkeeper, you do what I can't do because I'm traveling. You take care of him. Look after him. And he even says, when I return, I'll reimburse you. When you look at it in those small, almost slowed down actions, it doesn't look so overwhelming, does it? How hard is it to put a Band-Aid on? How hard is it to pull out your purse or your wallet and pay for something? So. I'm asking the question, how did the Samaritan love his neighbor so well? Well, he was just traveling, and he saw one person in need. He didn't say, oh, I've got to take care of the whole village nearby because there's sick and wounded people there. No, he was focused on one man with one need, and the compassion that was in his heart moved him to do something particular and focused for that one man. And so it is with us. I don't know, have you been overwhelmed maybe in the last month with neighboring? And you might think, I'm not a professional. I mean, Nahashan prayed this morning for orphans, and we talk about chariots for hope, and 
you pick your favorite mission or charity and think about the immense need. Needs, plural. And then maybe you think, there's just too many. There's too many people, and I can't possibly neighbor everyone. And maybe that if, you know, if your mind is going there, it, it causes a paralysis so that instead of doing anything, you're just stuck because it's too big, too huge. Almost looks too impossible, especially for one person to do anything. Have you felt that way? Well, as I was looking at the passage and, and trying to wring out some more truth this week, something that was there all along hit me, and I thought, why didn't I see this before? So let me ask you, is this what it says? Is this what Jesus says when he quotes scripture? Is it yes or no? Well, oh, good, you see it. But that's the way I was reading it. I was reading plural, neighbors. And that's what overwhelmed me. But it's one. One at a time, maybe. But one, for sure. It's singular. Love your neighbor as you love your oneself. I, I hope you can hear the freedom that that brings, right? That's, I, I think, freeing because... You don't have to save the whole world. In fact, that's why Jesus came. But as we participate in the work of redemption through Jesus, he doesn't ask us to do his job. He asks us to do our job, which is singular, particular. It's, it's almost like Jesus is giving us the freedom to do what we can, where we can, with whom we can. And that changes for each one of us. So take the, take the compassion that, that you feel for the world and narrow it down, focus it just to that one person at one time. So here's some suggestions on some ways to love one neighbor. How about just pray? Pray for one person. And, and don't pray, again, be careful of the big picture here. Don't pray, God, give me opportunities to love that one person. No, keep it narrow. Pray for one specific person or one opportunity and, and see what God does. He will answer our prayers. Like the Samaritan whose eyes were open, ask God to open your eyes too. Um, because the more you let this soak in and see, oh, I didn't realize that person was in my peripheral vision all the time. Now I'm looking at them as one person with one need that I, one Christian, meet. So maybe that means this week you'll make cookies for someone that you know that your neighbor or in your neighborhood who 
maybe broke their leg or lost their job. Or maybe when you're outside and you see someone walking your dog or you're walking your dog, um, you'll say more than just hi. Because dog walking happens regularly, right? It's a great opportunity. Um, uh, this, I'm thinking back, I think it was this past summer when we were doing our living and loving from the margin series, someone in church here stopped me after a Sunday service and said, hey, can I tell you a story? I said, sure. And it was so good. And I remembered it this week, and I asked her to email me more of the details of that. And I said I wanted to share it with you all. So uh, this is anonymous, but this is what she wrote about something that happened. She says, in March of this year, I was taking my grandson out for a walk in the stroller when I noticed a mom with her child in a stroller who came out of a neighbor's house. I'd never seen her before. I waved hello and continued on my way. A few blocks later, I heard footsteps coming quickly behind me, and I realized it was her trying to catch up with me. Truthfully, I wanted to keep going my way. I really felt so busy that I didn't have the time or energy to meet a new neighbor at that moment. But I sent up a few seconds prayer, basically asking the Lord or telling him that he would have to help me with these needs because I really felt helpless on my own. So we introduced ourselves. She was not only new to the neighborhood, but had just moved to the United States weeks, States weeks before and knew no one except her husband and child. As we talked that day, we got to know one another and I showed her a neighborhood playground. Our relationship has grown since then. I've had her meet other neighbors, helped with play dates, and she's come over for lunch or dinner. During one such time, I mentioned that my husband and I had just celebrated our wedding anniversary, and she asked me, how does a marriage last all those years? It was over 40. That was the beginning of being able to talk with her about my faith and the faith that my husband and I share. The Lord took me from my first reaction of feeling I didn't have time or energy to burdening my heart, not only for her, but for her husband. And from a one, two-second prayer to enlisting other people to pray for her. I know that God is working, and I am trusting that in his time, his purposes will be accomplished in her life and mine. And when I read that, and as I read it again, I'm thinking, there it is. One person meeting one person at one time, doing one thing at a time. Now, She's not the only one who could say this. So, like John mentioned, in your booklet, toward the back, there's a little box that says, if you have a story like that, or maybe it's not a story 
of uh, you know, success, but maybe it's a story of, man, I really blew it here. I really messed up, and this is not the way to be a good neighbor. Or maybe you just want to say something to the pastors. This email will go to our three pastors only, and if we say anything publicly, you will be anonymous, okay? So jot it down, neighboring at Chelton. We look forward to hearing your stories as well. So I want to wrap it up and see how you did on the question. The question? Yeah, the question. Remember, how many neighbors do I have? I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to think about it. But if, you're, if you are still looking at this like, oh, another thing to do. Just what I, I came to church to... If you were here last Sunday, you heard Pastor John talk about how shepherding is, sorry, neighboring. <laughs> Pastor John Neighbor. <laughs> and a new series called Shepherding. No, Pastor John Shepherd, who preached on neighboring. And what he tried to do was to say that um, it's, it's the cross of Jesus that fuels us. It's when God through Jesus is our neighbor, that we then are filled with the love and compassion that can flow out of us to other people. How fitting it is, isn't it, that at the Lord's table that we will have in just a moment, this is the food that we eat that we get to share with one person at a time. Jesus asks us to love one person but Jesus, as God, not only loves each of us individually, but the whole world. He died. He rose. And he calls in that universal sense. That's not up to us. He's doing that even now. So at the table, remember your neighbor near you, sitting near you. Remember your neighbor where you live, where you work whoever is near you. And remember that the feast that we partake of is also meant to share with them. I'm going to pray now. Our deacons will come. Nahashan will come. And we will celebrate our meal together. Our God, I thank you that you took on human form as our best neighbor. You came from heaven and you became us, one of us, wrapped in human clothes, eternally man, so that men might become sons and daughters of God. May we feast now Satisfy our souls, we pray, as we remember the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.